Well, if you're here because your family is together today, you have really honored your family well and just grateful to God for you as a family. We're in a series of messages called United where we're talking about being united in relationships. And today I'd like to focus on being united as a married couple or as a family. And I'd like you, if you would, just take your hand out and follow along. I'm going to refer to multiple passages today rather than having one central passage. But I believe God's word will speak well to us. Now, there are many reasons that God has created and formed the institution of marriage. But the Bible gives one right out of the gate of, the, of its beginning pages. From Genesis chapter 2, God lets it be known that part of the reasoning for marriage is that there would be a companionship and a helping of the two. In fact, God said in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And you might be thinking, well, what is specifically God creating a helper for Adam? What is that purpose for? We know that Adam was given the duty of being the husband of creation, the caretaker of creation. So we might make an assumption that Eve was made by God to help Adam in his stewarding of creation. But I think it's much deeper than that. That Adam's first role is not an assignment. His first role is his being. For mankind was made in the image of God. God made Adam and God made Eve in his image. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. So more than anything, our purpose is not about doing. Our purpose is about being. Who are we? In faith in Christ Jesus, we are image bearers of God. In faith, we are bearing the image of God in Christ Jesus. And God had determined that it would be better suited to bear his image for Adam to have a helper in doing so. And so he created Eve in that. Now, there are more reasons by which God has created marriage and more reasons for your marriage, but I think that's uh, one that God certainly points to at the beginning. Now, marriage is not required for any of us to be the image bearers of God. In fact, Marriage is not required for us to serve God well in the full capacity that God has given to us and the call that he's given to us. So I don't want you to think that. In fact, the church is greatly indebted to people who have never been married or some who are widowed or for other reasons find themselves single. When you think about some of the great people of faith in the New Testament, you're thinking about people who are single. And when you think about some who are great examples of Jesus Christ and really about the task of the kingdom of God here at Meadowbrook, I think often about people who are single. So there's no stipulation by which you ought to be married in order to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. But I can tell you from my side, I've been called to ministry, called to missions, and I'm called to marriage, and I'm grateful for it because I'm a better minister, a better pastor, and a better disciple and discipler because of my wife. And Adam must have been the same way. Now, the Christians who uh, are recognizing God's work in their life are recognizing his development in their life. Whether you're married or unmarried, God is developing you more into the image of Jesus if your faith is in him. 
And one of the primary ways he does that is through the Word of God, this written instruction that God has given to us. In fact, the Spirit's role in our life is partly to take this Word and to help us to understand it and to be guided by it and live with the power of God to fulfill its task. So this is one of the ways that God develops us. Another way is by the Spirit himself. If you're saved, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you're saved. That's what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit is within us, living within us, like, a, like our body is his temple. He dwells therein. And his purpose for, for that is to bear forth the glory of God, helping us to take and understand the treasures of God, the will of God, and to exercise them fully. And so he's guiding us and he's rebuking us if need be. He's, he's helping us to discover truths and, and giving us the power by which we can walk out in those truths or, or walk in those truths. It's the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave that dwells within us by his spirit. So he's doing a great work of, of fashioning us. All right, so if you're married or unmarried, that's all happening. But I want to go a step further. If you're married, God is also using your marriage as a way of developing you in the image of Christ. He's helping you to think like that of Christ and speak like that of Christ and do the work of Christ. So God uses relationships to develop us spiritually. Even if you're unmarried, God has placed relationships in your life that are very significant. And those relationships are used by God to shape you more like Christ. They are helping you to uh, move in the process of the Spirit what is called sanctification. So I'm not just talking about the encouragement that we might get from a spouse or by someone who's close to us in relationship. I'm talking about the close relationships where things get rough. All right, so when I'm in relationship with you, and it's a relationship that's sort of passing pleasantries, and we're talking about our, our sports teams or the weather or what's going on in our lives, we're just talking talk. There's not much that is shaping me to be like Christ in that discussion. But when we enter into a deeper relationship, and you come to know who I am, and I come to know who you are, and we earn the right to speak into each other and even rebuke one another when the case is needed, and we speak into depth into each other's lives, God's word and God's truth, then, my friends, we have a real propensity to grow in who we are in Christ, to grow in the nurture and the admonition of Christ through those individuals. Right, nobody knows me like my wife knows me. All right, the real Randy is not the stage Randy. The real Randy is raw. The real Randy has a tendency to be stubborn and self-centered and deceptive and inflicting hurt if need be in order for me to have pleasure. That's the real me. That's the me that Christ is saving that's the me that the Holy Spirit is chipping away and replacing with his holy, righteous way. And if you're in Christ, he's doing the same thing to you. And the people who know you best in that process are the people who are in close relationship with you. And there's no relationship like that of marriage that gets us to that level. A husband and wife know each other in real ways. So God is beginning to work in us his sanctifying work by the word of God, the spirit of God, and in those relationships. 
Now, let me just walk you through uh, specifically marriage relationships and what God is doing, but it can be applied, the truths can be applied in principle to other relationships that God has fashioned for our living. The first point is this. Marriage puts you on a journey towards holiness and eternal significance. That marriage begins a journey with you, and the journey is towards holiness and eternal value, eternal significance. Now, there's some obvious references in the Bible that just really kind of jump off the page to me, and anytime God specifically addresses his will, that's one of them. Because a regular question that's asked of me is, Randy, how do I know this is God's will for my life? Or how do I know what God's will is? So when God just outright says it, uh, I circle it, bracket it, and star it, and, and you know, try to apply it. And here's one of them. First Thessalon- Thessalonians chapter 4, first part of verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. All right, sanctification is one of those words we don't use very often, so let me sort of break that down for us for a moment. Sanctification is akin to the word saint. You can sort of grab hold of that word and understand what it is. A saint is the opposite of sinner, right? Sainthood is who we are in Christ. God transforms us from being a sinner by taking the blood of Christ and wiping us clean, by taking the debt that was held against us because of our sin and erasing it, by taking away the sin and replacing it with the righteousness of Christ. We are saints. In fact, throughout the Bible, when Paul addresses the church, he addresses them with that title, to the saints of God, to the saints who are at, and he lists the church. So if your faith is in God who sent his son and you've died to self in order to live in Christ, then you are no longer a sinner, you're a saint. And we can, we can understand that. So sanctification and saint are akin to the same. It's being made holy. It's what God is doing to make us holy. Positionally, we are holy in Christ, but God is doing more than just placing me in a position of holiness. He is working into me this day and working into you this day holiness. He's trying to do it by the shaping of your thoughts, by the deposits of truth. He's trying to help you to Uh, have illuminated the the lives in your life and elevate the truth in your life. And he wants you to live your life in the truth rather than in the lies. So this is part of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He's making you holy and holy in thought, in word, in action. Now, one of the great relationships that he does this work in is marriage because there's no other relationship that is more sacred than marriage. I say that because marriage is the only relationship we have that actually displays Jesus Christ and his church to the rest of the world. Marriage is the only one. In fact, when I'm marrying people, I remind them, your purpose is to live your life together as husband and wife so that others may not understand it, but they recognize your relationship is different and there's something about your relationship that they understand more about God. And the purpose of our marriage is to do that, to illuminate Jesus Christ and his love for the church and the church's dedication and surrender to Jesus. So our marriage together with our spouse is meant to communicate that very thing. It puts us on that pathway. 
So whereas the world paints the picture of marriage being and the two lived happily ever after, God paints the picture of marriage as the two people lived wholly thereafter. And there is quite a difference. I want you to grab hold of that truth because Kay and I can testify to this, that our days in marriage are not always happy days. There are seasons in marriage that they are not happy seasons. And if you think that you're to live happily ever after and it doesn't happen, you might just check out of that relationship. But when you recognize God's call is not for your happiness, God's call is for your holiness. And what God is working in you is not to improve your happiness. God is working in you to improve your holiness. When you get that, you'll move through the times when you're not very happy holding on and clinging to holiness and asking the Spirit in the midst of your unhappiness to make you more holy. You say, would He do that? Absolutely He will. Like a refiner's fire, He will burn away all that stuff and in the end will be more pure in the way of Christ. If we're willing, He will work that in you. Hey, can I just, can I just put it out there? You are not going to be happy every day of your marriage. And if you're not going to be happy on some days, you might as well be moving towards holiness in those days. There ought to be purpose to that. And the reason why you're not happy in every day is because you don't get things the way you want it every day. And you sort of have to swallow that down. And that's a little bitter. And it's in that bitterness that God says, oh, but I'm shaping you to be selfless. I'm shaping you to be humble. I'm shaping you to be a surrendered individual. And where else can you learn those things but in close relationship? Marriage requires you to be committed to your sanctification and the sanctification of your spouse. It's, it's a two-way deal. Now, I'm committed, Lord, to your sanctifying work in me, and I'm committed to your sanctifying work through my to my spouse through me. Now, if you're here today and your faith is in God and you're, you're a believer of who Jesus Christ is, you surrendered your life to Him, you're Christian, and your spouse is not, God has something to say to you. Now, let me back up a little bit and just remind us. God demands of Christians that we only marry Christians his word is very clear. Do not be unequally yoked. That is, don't partner yourself with a non-Christian. He demands that. So to our students who are here, and you sort of like that guy, or you sort of think that girl's cute, if he or she is not distinctly Christian, then I would say don't go to the dance, don't go on the date, don't even pass text. Don't move in the direction that God says you cannot end there. Some of you didn't heed that word. And you're married now to an unbeliever. Or maybe both of you were unbelievers when you were married. And you or he has since come to faith. God has something to say to us when we're unequally yoked in our marriage. A Christian and an unchristian. 
It's very specific. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. In other words, the greater opportunity for your spouse to be saved is through your witness. Hang in there. Some of you find yourself in that place, and I know that that must not be easy. Could I be the encourager of Jesus to you today to say he knows where you are, he knows what you're dealing with, and he's saying, hang on, don't grow weary in doing well. Be obedient in your response to the Word of God and bear witness to Him. Bear witness to her. Share faith with Him. Share faith with her. Talk about it. If he or she is going to come to faith, it will be by hearing. And how will they hear unless somebody is speaking? So share it. But the Bible warns us to not be naggy. Okay, that's my word. That's not the Bible's word. That's a bad word in my house. We don't say the word nag at my house because nag rhymes with hag, and that is not a good thing. In this first service, I had somebody walk out with me, and we're just talking on the way out, and his native language is Spanish. And his wife said to me, you know, I really don't appreciate you, Randy. Today, you have introduced two words to my Spanish-speaking husband that he did not know. And he said, oh, but we have a word in Spanish that is similar to that. And he named it. I'm not going to get it right, but it was similar to Catalina. It had some distinct sound to it, but it was similar to that. And she slapped him on the side because she said, you told me that word meant I was beautiful. <laughs> when in fact it means naggy. <laughs> so you don't have to be naggy. In fact, Peter tells us how to live our life if you're in that relationship with an unbelieving spouse. He says, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, that's not the only way. We do communicate the gospel. We are to be ambassadors of the truth of Jesus Christ. We do want people to move in faith and the only Come to faith by hearing the word of God, and God has placed you in the house to speak that word. But what Peter reminds us is, let your life be an expression of that gospel. Let it be lived differently, and it might be that as your husband or as your wife sees the evidence of Christ in you, it may birth in them a longing for that peace and that joy and that beautiful relationship that you and God have together. For those of you who are married and who are both Christian, God has something to say to you as well. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So in this case, the husband is to wash his wife with the word of God, like what Christ has washed the church with his word. 
And this word is a, a word that is spoken by Jesus that is our salvation. In the parallel of that, husbands, it's our duty to do the sanctifying work of God in the lives of our wives. It's our duty to do that. If you're a, a Christian couple, it's the duty of the husband to do that. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, Randy. My wife knows more of the Bible than I do. My wife lives out the truth of the word more than I do. Who am I to sanctify her? It doesn't matter who you are to sanctify her. It matters what God demands of us, and God demands that we do it. So you might say, well, I don't know what words to say. What, what am I going to say to my wife about the Bible? It's not about what you say. Take the word of God and read it. Just read it aloud. You don't have to be the preacher. We already have one of those. Just read the Bible to her. Make a pledge. Before we go to bed, we will have read the Bible together. For Kay and me, by and large, it's before we walk out the door to go somewhere, we have read and prayed together. And sometimes when we know it's just going to be a hectic, chaotic morning, we will say, hey, tomorrow, let's bank it in the evening. Before we go to bed, we will have read the Word and prayed together. I, I would just encourage you to do that. You mean you want me to pray with her? Absolutely. And can I tell you, for the last couple of years as I've been discipling people, and a lot of them are men, I will specifically ask their wives, do you want your husband to read the Bible and pray with you? Every time, I'm telling you, there's not a single woman that has ever said, I don't know. Every time, even the most assertive personalities, those women, every one of them say, absolutely, I wish my husband would do that. Now, I don't mean to put you on the spot, guys, but God has placed that yearning within them. And God has given you the command and the duty to do it. He's telling you to do it. And so I'm encouraging you to step forward with boldness and courage and just do it. I'm going to tell you there's going to be about five days of awkwardness where you say, uh, do you want me to read the Bible together? Do you want me to pray together with you? There will be about five days. And after you get through that first week, it will be much more easy. And after you get through the first month, it will be routine to you that your wife longs for and you long for. I can tell you between Kay and me, the highest level of intimacy that we have is when we are praying together. You say, well, what do I know to pray? You just pray what you just read. You pray about the passage that you just read and the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're struggling with together or the things that you're grateful for that come out of that passage, the discoveries of God that you found in the passage. You just pray about those. Right now, every woman in this place who is married is in their heart saying, oh God, I want him to do that. Help him. There's not a single woman in here that's not doing that. And if the women were courageous enough, they would touch you on the hand right now. They would squeeze you to let them know, man, do I ever long for that. So it's living by choice to be sanctified and letting the relationship be part of the sanctifying work. Listen, the relationship is going to have very hard times in it. And in that, because you long to be sanctified during the hard times, you'll let God do his work in you. And the marriage is meant to be such that you're sanctifying one another, moving towards one another in the sanctifying process. 
I know that Kay and I are at a place of being sanctified when she hears often from me, thank you and I'm sorry. When I'm quick to confess, I'm sorry. And I'm, when I'm quick to show gratitude, she knows I'm in a sanctified place, that I'm being made holy by the Spirit of God. And when I am ungrateful or when I stand my ground in my sin and not confess and repent, she knows that I'm not in a place of being sanctified. Do those words get shared in your house very much? In the relationships that you're most close to, do those words get shared often? It will reveal God's sanctifying work. You know, when Kay and I are in our deep discussions about certain things, and she's got an opinion, and I've got an opinion, and we're both sharing those opinions, that's when the flesh gets revealed most often. Where I sort of stand my ground in selfishness, where I let pride and arrogance hold on to some position, where I'm not, where I'm not uh, humbling myself, where, where I might say things that are sharp, where I might say things that are cutting, and she might do the same thing. It's in that place of the relationship that God is beginning to work in us. And if I give him opportunity, I will quickly say, wait, 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 I am way out of bounds here. I'm not engaged in the things of the Spirit. I'm engaged in the things of Randy right now. And I just need to time out. Let me just get my heart conditioned. Let me get my heart right. And I'll come back to her, to her and say, hey, I didn't mean to go there. I'm sorry. And I'll move towards her in a different way. I'm a big fan of Gary Thomas, who has written Sacred Marriage. It's gotten a couple of editions out there now. I would encourage you to buy either one of them. They're both fantastic. And in that, he gives a, in that book, he gives a quote, which I just clung to this week. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. I really think he's on to something there. That it's my repentance, it's my quick repentance that keeps the love flowing. And it's when Kay is quick to repent and Kay is quick to be shaped by the Spirit of God that the love really flows well. The opposite of that would be to hold our ground and stand firm in our sin. Marriage is meant to reveal the nature of Jesus to others. One of the great roles of Jesus is not just that he's Savior, but he's the advocate for us. There's a passage that refers to that out of 1 John, and, and in this passage it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And what I love by that is that Jesus is the one who cares for our sin, he removes it from us, and he replaces it with his perfect holiness and righteousness. The account is just completely put into order by Jesus. But what happens when a saint sins. This passage tells us that Jesus is there as the advocate. He steps forward in the midst of our sin and he advocates for us. Now what about you and me? If we're to represent Christ to our spouse, how are we advocating for our spouse in the sin? It's in the place of sin amongst Kay and me or maybe you and your spouse it's in the midst of that that you start to put each other down, don't you? You start to think that inner thought about the negative. 
and you might uh, try to outflank and speak against your spouse. That's completely uncharacteristic of Jesus. It's completely uncharacteristic of the Christian as well. Instead, what we need to be doing is advocating for them. Now, that's not belittling sin. Sin is hurtful. What I'm saying is not we're, not we're not belittling sin. We're actually elevating and make grace all the bigger. That in the midst of the sin, maybe you're being sinned against and it stings and it hurts. In the midst of the sins, you still have to be an advocate for that individual. That's what Jesus is doing. He has surrendered himself to us. He sacrificed for us. And yet, while we sin against him, he advocates for us. What, the, what a beauty of the relationship that we can show in Christ as we demonstrate that with our spouse. Just advocating for them, even in the midst of sin. So how are you doing with that? Because the world is coaching you differently. The world is coaching you to keep tabs. Now you just hang on to this for a minute. Don't you let him also quit. Or the world is saying to you, men, you just need to bank that one. That one will come useful in a conversation in the days or weeks or years ahead. The world wants us to hold on to those things and just bring them up. Maybe you're one of those, an argument is about what you're going to eat for lunch, and all of a sudden you brought in sins of the past, and you just ushered it right into the argument about what you're going to have for lunch. Maybe you're one of those who categorize the sin and bring it forward when it's convenient for you or when it's your manipulative way to have power. You see, holding on to sin is a powerful thing. And when you can use it as an advantage for you, it's really powerful. But I'm telling you, that power is destructive. And what Jesus is saying, you let go of that. You stop looking at the sin, you stop banking the sin, and you start banking on grace. You start pressing towards what God is doing. You work towards the sanctification. Listen, if you identify the sin that's going on in the relationship, there's no question your Christian spouse is identifying it as well because that's the role of the Holy Spirit in his or her life. So how about that the sin is going on is one thing, that the Holy Spirit is convicting of that sin and drawing them towards the sanctifying work of His nature. That's a beautiful thing too. Or maybe the sin that's against you is also in you and it's the moment that you just say, hey, can we just pause for a minute? Because what's happening right now is sinful and it reminds me of my own sin and I just need a moment to thank God for His cleansing, redemptive work in me, His sanctifying work in me. Let's pray together that God will do that in both of us. You tell me that won't change the direction of that conversation or that action? That's, that's a couple that recognizes sanctification is what God is about in our relationship. That God is moving us more into the image of Christ, revealing the nature of Jesus to others who is an advocate. Marriage, like faith, is meant to grow richly, but its growth is dependent upon us. I love how the Word of God speaks to our faith and how we can grow our faith. And if you look at those places in Scripture, you can also see parallels of those same principles that would do well in our relationships. For instance, Jesus once gives a parable that you're very familiar with, probably. It's the parable of the sower, maybe better known as the parable of the soils because it reveals the condition of people's hearts like the soil is to a field. And Jesus is saying there's a, a farmer who goes out and he sows seed, and of course the seed falls in various places and begins to tell about the four places that the seed might fall. And in the uh, 
uh, explanation of the parable to the disciples because they were really sort of confused about it all. In the explanation, Jesus begins to tell what that is all about. He says, oh, the seed represents the word of God, and that's the truth that's heard. And Sometimes it's believed, but it's not really applied. It's not really lived out. And so the devil just kind of comes and swipes it away, steals it away, like that on the hard pathway. Sometimes the word of God is out there, and people hear it, and they receive it with joy, but it really doesn't take deep root into their life. It doesn't transform who they are, and it just kind of burns away. And the Word of God is at times like those who are hearing it, but the pleasures and the riches of life sort of choke it out, and they, they stop caring about things that are eternal because they're only caring about things that are temporary. And Jesus just says, you, you ought to be guarded about that. Let your heart be good. Let the soil be rich. Let it be conditioned. Let it be the seed cast there, and let it grow and bear forth a harvest. Could we apply those same principles in the life of marriage? Sure. The devil seeks to destroy marriage. He seeks to rob us and destroy it in our life, just like he does the Word. So he's always looking to rob from what the Word of God offers. The Word of God offers peace and joy, primarily. And so with your marriage, the devil is after peace in your life, and he's after the joy in your life. And he wants to destroy that. And there's truths in God's Word that if you will apply them, peace and joy will be yours. If your attitude is that of Christ with genuine intimacy and truth and vulnerability and humility and selflessness, then you can have peace and joy in your life. But the enemy is coming against you. And like the hard path where the seed falls, the enemy is working in the worn places of your life, the busyness of life, the daily grinds and the routines. He steals away what's there on the pathways that are hardened and beaten down, like the having to pay bills every single month or for us two times a month. It's in the movement of life, the routines, the cooking of dinner, the cleaning of the house, the taking the kids to school, to getting them to ball practice and ball games and dance recitals and, and all the busy and chaos of life. It's those worn out places where the devil just picks and tries to work against the joy and the peace of God that is ours, even in our marriage. And it's the enemy who seeks to destroy your faith and your marriage through the difficulties of life when money is tight and when emotions are frayed and factuation seems to dissipate and the external stressors of life press to the internal pressures and when the expectations go unmet and the transitions are difficult it's then in that overwhelming sense that the love and the resolve for marriage just might be scorched and it's in the difficulties of life and marriage and the enticement of those things that the the world wants us to have all the stuff and all the seeking and all the going and all the getting, it's in that that your joy and peace can be absolutely choked in marriage, like a UFC fighter who finds himself suddenly in an arm bar and the fight is soon over. The devil is out to destroy what is peace and joy in your life. That God desires us to hear his truth and let that truth be deposited into us and into our relationships with well-conditioned heart, hearts prepared and helped by the Holy Spirit. And that condition of our heart can cause us to flourish individually and collectively. Now, let me get this right. The difficulties are going to come. The idea that we can live a struggle-free life might be an American idea, but it is not a biblical idea. 
you're going to struggle and I'm going to struggle. There are going to be things that are going to bring struggle into our relationships, but we have to view it in light of what is God doing in sanctifying us, even in the midst of the struggle. I can tell you what God says he does. He brings endurance. He brings perseverance. He brings steadfastness. He brings completion. And how does he do that? By the challenges. So you've got a choice in the midst of that. I can stand my ground and I can be selfish and I can be unresolved or I can believe that God is sanctifying me, that God is using the trials to chip away at the old me and lift and elevate the new me in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on and I'm not going to. There's some passages that are still left in your handout that you might want to refer to at the end. If I had more time, I'd dig right there. But let me summarize right here and tell you this. That God has great plans for your marriage. God has great hopes for your family. A good marriage just doesn't happen. It requires an understanding of God's purpose. It requires humility and an ability to admit your faults and failures and an ability to give grace when faults and failures are revealed from your spouse. And a good marriage requires the difficult task of dying to self and daily putting the needs of your spouse above your own needs. And a good marriage requires that you are not only a recipient of God's love and grace and forgiveness, but you are a giver of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. In fact, the Bible says, to the measure which you have been given, you must share. That will bring a good marriage into your life. So may the Lord condition our hearts. May we be willing to receive the challenge. May we exercise in it fully as God continues to use our marriages to sanctify us and reveal Jesus Christ to others. For you who are unmarried, may God use the depth of relationships that you have that are God-honoring. May He use those in a unique way in your life to nurture you in the way of Jesus Christ. And may your love for God and others reveal the truth that's found in the pages of His Bible. I pray this for all of us. Father, thank you for your word and for the instruction that you have given to us. I pray now that we have heard and received. The ones who have hear, ears to hear have heard. And now with the grace and faith that is being poured out in measurement that is to us to respond in obedience, I pray that we would walk in the truths. I pray for the marriages who are struggling right now that your grace would be sufficient. I pray for the ones who have been thinking wrongly that your truth has been elevated. And I pray, Lord, that we would live our lives in a way, in marriage and otherwise, that would communicate well about Jesus. Our life is surrendered to him and walking as he walked. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.